Welcome, my name is Matt, and alongside my wife, Asha, we are the youth pastors here. Um, big shout out to the youth in the house tonight. Um, a couple of shouts I want to give before I get started, so don't, um, uh, this isn't part of the word or anything like that. First of all, Siobhan, who was hosting, is now engaged to Ben as of yesterday, and they're right there. Ben's on lights tonight, Siobhan's hosting. And uh, if you don't know, both of them actually work for our church. They have uh, pretty significant roles, but behind the scenes roles. Uh, youth is uh, sorry. Ben is one of our youth, as- uh, our youth assistant. Sorry, my words here. I'm choked up with emotion of excitement. Um, no, and Siobhan, well, she oversees many different administration roles, but they are really backbones to our church. And can I say that they are two amazing people who are very skilled at what they do. Um, we absolutely love having them on staff, but we are just so happy for them and excited for them. So how about you give them a big whoop whoop? That's very exciting. I want to thank as well, you know, with the you know, week of celebrating volunteers, we had an awesome night on Friday night. Um, the head count was 370, but I'm certain there was more than that. There's always, you know, people in the bathrooms and stuff when you take a head count. But it was completely packed out, and, but I was overwhelmed by the fact that... Um, you know, we're a church in this region that can host an event like that um, because of the, the faithfulness of people many decades ago having a dream to build a place like this, to hold an event like that. And we are just living in the, the blessing of that. But we also have people right now who are volunteering to allow those events to happen too. And we had a bunch of parents come out, a bunch of our pastors came out as well. And so I want to give a big shout out, not only to the people who came out on the, you know, the one time to serve in the cafe or, you know, do ops outside, but the people who also are here each and every week serving in youth, our youth leaders, and Dave Fitzpatrick, who's out in the car park every single night. So can we give them a big shout out too? It was a really awesome night. We're able to hand out... uh, I think 52 Bibles to people who responded at the end of the night to the altar call. And um, that's amazing, right? That's, that's huge. Um, so that's cool. And I want another, not random shout out, but, um, you know, PCS, right, uh, on Friday hosted a multicultural day. And it was actually uh, not a staff initiative, but it was actually a student initiative of our student leadership team. And at, at the... At the end of the day, the final sort of part of the day, we had chapel, and Brock Fanning, who sort of organized, kicked off the day, it was a, a dream in his heart, as well as the, student, the senior leadership team, shared an awesome word on who is my neighbor, and as you know, Multicultural Day is all about bringing together, you know, the nations of the world to, in unity rather than division, which can often happen, and I'm just so inspired by a young person who just took the reins of starting something for the first time in PCS, and wanting to leave it as a, a legacy for the school to continue. And it was a really awesome day. So I want to shout out Brock, but then everyone else who was involved on that day as well. Love it. So really proud of you and everyone else who was making a big part of that. All right, let's get into the word. Amen. It's an awesome night. It's water baptism night. You guys excited for that? Shout out to the visitors too or family and friends who've come out to support um, whoever's getting baptized tonight. Really keen for that. But water baptism nights are all about giving Jesus all the attention and all the credit for all he's done. Amen? And I've got the chance to sh- share my testimony four times this week, and I'm going to do it again right now. You know, for me as a, as a, um, as a young person, um, I, I didn't I grow up in a, a family that went to church, 
Um, and I went to a, a Christian school across the road, the PAC, shout out. And, um, but my, my teenage years kind of gradually, I, I was a young person filled with purpose and lots of different things, but I got consumed by gaming, right? Computer gaming. And I went from playing just a couple of hours a day to honestly like sometimes six, seven, ten hours a day, 12 hours a day. My school holidays were filled with it. And I honestly became super addicted to it, became a slave to it. Um, and we all have things in life because we're all uh, not perfect. We're all sinners. But that had a, a hold on me, a, a dramatic, deep hold on me, a grip on me. I describe it like a straitjacket, right? It's something that I wanted to get out of, but I couldn't get out of it. Um, but some faithful people, some, some um, God's people came to my school and they shared their faith with me, but they also invited me to church and I refused the invitation many, many times. But one day, um, because of circumstances, I was able to come and from that moment on, there was a, um, well, God saved me and there was a transformation that began to happen in my life and the downward spiral um, or the straitjacket was taken off, right? So, um, and, and Jesus, just to, just to um, finish that off, Jesus was the one who saved me. He was the one who rescued me. Um, and I get to share about Jesus tonight. And the people who get to you know, get in the pool as well tonight are going to share about Jesus as well. So I get to share just a small part of the Bible that reveals the one who saved me, Jesus Christ. And when Christians read and hear the Bible, it's more than just story time, right? We're not just sitting down and it's story time. We believe that God's Word is living and active, and it's like a sword that can cut down to the deepest layers of who we are, reveal truth about yourself that you can't even see, and then come in and transform you to a heart that's ready to respond. So it's more than just story time, but it all points towards, the whole Word of God points towards what it describes as a Messiah, the promised hero who saves all who turn to him with a humble heart and actually trust in him for his mercy and grace. And so I've prepared a message in mind that we might have visitors in the room tonight who um, may not know about this Messiah or, you know, have heard things, but, you know, you're going to encounter him in the Word tonight. Um, so I'm going to pray to sort of Get us prepared for that. Amen. So let me pray. Father God, we come before your word tonight, and I thank you for, Lord, the work that you have been doing in this house for, for many decades, Lord, in this location right here, and that you're continuing to do, Lord. And I just really do pray tonight that um, all the hearts that are here, all the people represented in this room, that whatever things are going on in our world that might distract us from this moment, Lord, that you would, uh, by the power of your spirit, allow our hearts to focus in tonight and to hear what you want us to hear tonight from your word. Um, and I pray it would really build us up, it would teach us, it would correct us, it would move us in the right direction. And yeah, we just pray that you would do all that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are digging into a passage tonight with a man known as John the Baptist. And it's talking about the differences between him and Jesus. But I need to give like a bit of a Bible backstory to help you understand what we're about to read because there's a few things in it, right? So John the Baptist was a Jew and the Jews were uh, chosen to be God's people. And thousands of years earlier from this time, God revealed himself to a man named Abraham and made him a promise 
that his descendants would be a great nation. And God told these people that they were to be a holy nation. Now, that word holy means to be a set-apart people, different from the rest of the world. And so God gives his law really plainly and simply so that they know how to live holy, how to live set apart. Um, And we know what these laws are today. When you read through the Old Testament, you may have heard of the Ten Commandments before, or all of us may have heard of the Ten Commandments before, but there's more commandments than that. But it's clearly, you know, in, in the, the word how God wants us to live, and it's His laws, and that's how we live set apart, how we live holy. But the Old Testament part of the Bible, um, it's filled with stories over and over again of just how much the Jews suck <laughs> at keeping the laws. Over and over again. They recommit, and then they fail, and they turn back to God. And thankfully, what the, the big attribute that we see from God is that He's very patient, <laughs> and very willing to extend grace, even though there is this rejection constantly of God's people just doing things that um, are not good. And so, to summarize, there are people who are supposed to live clean, right? Supposed to live holy, pure lives, set-apart lives, but their constant breaking of God's laws makes them unclean, unholy. And God gave the Jews a few rituals to emphasize what God wanted for His people, right? God's saying through these rituals, I want you to be clean, right? I want my people to be pure, just like me. And some of those rituals are, to be honest, a bit weird, if you look at them through modern lenses, um, because we all, but, but some of them aren't, right? We all wash our hands, correct? Yes? Okay, so we do do rituals with water where we clean ourselves. Um, but the most significant was the lamb sacrifice on a yearly basis, known as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But others were just like our, our cleansing rituals, okay? They were rituals involving water. And John was a Jew who performed one of these cleansing rituals, the mikvah, a full immersion in water, And tonight, we're calling it baptism, okay? So, we're going to read now in uh, John chapter 3, and it says this from verse 25. All right, a debate broke out between John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing, some of these rituals that I was just talking about. So, John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, The man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah, I am only here to prepare the way for Him. Everyone say prepare. I'm only here to prepare the way for Him. I'm going to dig into this a little bit. The content of the debate that they're talking about, even though it's probably juicy details, you know, we all like a bit of debate, a bit of back and forward. It's not really important to John's gospel. Um, It doesn't really focus on it. But all we know is that it sparks the curiosity of John the Baptist's disciples to figure out why they're losing 
baptism business to Jesus. The certain Jew is uh, a Pharisee who makes an appearance only to reveal how the hyper-religious, which the, the, the Pharisees were super-religious, keeping to God's law, almost at the point of a, a obsession, where it's clear that they make the rituals God rather than focusing on the God who gave the ritual. So he's inserted in there in this moment. But John's reply is the focus. John the Baptist corrects his disciples because obviously they're talking about this baptism cleansing ritual thing, but they've lost the focus of something that John's already taught them. Okay? And he says in verse 28, he baptized to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, if you came to me with a problem with your car, first of all, I'll change the windscreen solution because that always feels really awesome. You feel like a mechanic. If you're not the only one, I love doing that. And then I'll tell you that you've still got a problem with your car and I'd give you the number of my mechanic to go to him, okay? I'll help you clear the way, all right? But I'm not the way to fix your car. Thank you, Jordan. You, you extra laughed that, at that one. I'm not the way to fix your car, but I know the one who is the way to fix your car. You know what I'm saying? So John's baptism was the same. He prepared the way. His baptism told people, yeah, you need to be clean. And this is a great reminder of that fact that you need to be clean. But the Messiah is the one who will actually clean you, right? So the big idea of this small little passage that we've read so far is this. Jesus is the only one who can truly and totally cleanse you. And he's doing it across the river, but even right now, for all who come to him. I'm going to say that again, because if you're taking notes, that's the big point that I want you to get. Jesus is the only one, not you, who can truly and totally cleanse you. And he's doing it for all who come to him. Now, John's disciples clearly hadn't caught it yet, because they seem a bit uneasy about the idea that this Messiah, Jesus guy, is taking away their, like, baptism people, right? Everyone's going to him instead of coming to us, they say. But John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. And he didn't just know him as Messiah, but he had experienced the fullness and glory of this Messiah for himself. He was privileged to baptize Jesus. He was chosen to baptize Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised hero who saves all who come to him. And he knew it because he saw a, a prophecy fulfilled before his very eyes as he was going about his baptism ministry. A couple of chapters earlier in John, it says this. This is John's experience of baptizing Jesus. It says, and John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. That's Jesus. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom, what did I say that weird? 
The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. From that moment on, John had a new job to make Jesus great. To make Jesus great. Right? The ritual that once pointed towards a future Messiah, well, the Messiah was clear now. And it, was, it, it had a personality, it had somebody that could be experienced, right? And it was his job to make him great. And we see that as we continue to read through this passage. He says, you yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah, this is John speaking, I am only here to prepare the way for him. And then he goes into this analogy um, about bridegrooms and, and brides. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Everyone say joy. Now say it with a smile. Joy. You're like, joy. Say joy with a smile. <laughs> joy. Sorry. I'm extremely uh, overtired right now, if you haven't told, if, if you can't tell. All right. I'm filled with joy at his success. And he says this, and this line for me was one of the first things I remember highlighting in my Bible as a 16-year-old. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Who's the he? Jesus. Who's the I? Me. That's what the Christian life is all about, amen? We find joy in becoming less and less as Jesus becomes greater and greater. Now, I've been at two weddings the last two Saturdays. That is an awesome privilege to go to a wedding. And it's an even more of an awesome privilege to go to two weddings where you just really, really know and love the people that are getting married, right? It's so special to be at any wedding. Just the pinnacle of joy is seeing two people just commit their lives to each other with God at the center of, of what they're doing. Um, but I've also had the privilege in my life to be the best man for two weddings, right? And let's be real, it's the easiest job in the world. Easiest job. You literally hold in your pocket two very expensive rings, probably, or not, and you didn't even have to buy them, right? It's just that easy. And you get to, you get to sneakily look at them, and, you know, I have tried to put on the, ring, the rings themselves, but, like, you know, feeling like it's a Lord of the Rings thing where I'm going to turn invisible, I don't fully commit, or I'd hate to actually go over the knuckle and not be able to get it off. That'd be awkward. Have to, you know, chop the finger off or something like that. But it's the, easy, it's the only job you have to do is just put the rings on. You know, the, the person who's doing the, the, the celebrant usually just does a quick mocking, you know, comment of like, oh, good job, mate. And then you just step back behind, but you've got the absolute best seat in the house to see the expressions, to, to feel the emotion, the intensity. It's an awesome, awesome privilege, Okay. Because you get to shuffle back and the spotlight's not on you at all, okay? It's just there for a glimpse and then you just step back, okay? And your job is easy because the day's got nothing to do with you. It's actually light and easy. It's great, okay? And it's just a simple joy. And this is what John is describing here. It's a simple joy. Just to basically point to the ones that are right in front of you, right? John's joy is knowing that when people encounter Jesus' baptism, 
not the water kind that he's been doing, because it's, it's an unfulfilled thing, right? It's a reminder, but it's not actually a fulfillment of anything. So not the water kind, but the living water kind, okay, the spirit kind, or the water and spirit kind that you read about earlier in the chapter in John 3, it's such a joy because you see people become truly and totally clean, right? This was my experience as a teenager. Even though things didn't change completely, right, because we still live in a fallen world and sin still, you know, has its role in our life and, and we're not there yet, there's this release that happens, this cleansing that happens. Not just once a day where you wash your hands or once a week when you shower, right? Or when you do the mikvah, when you go into the temple to get clean, it's more of an inconvenience. Or once a year when the lamb sacrificed, no, no, no. It's a clean for eternity clean. It's profound. How? How does this happen? How does this cleansing happen, All right? Well, John also declares back in chapter 1, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he shouts out in John 1, 29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. This is Jesus being described here. You see, Jesus endured the final cleansing ritual that would satisfy God's command for His people to be clean. And He's what all those rituals through all those years in Jewish history pointed towards. Right? And he was the final one. Now, I hesitated to insert this scripture in here because I was like, I don't know if I'm going too deep, you know, like I, I, um, I you know, sometimes can, can overdo it or, you know, dig, dig too deep into it. But I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put the Word of God in front of you because for some it might be a really rich thing and it might make sense and for some of you it might go over your head and I apologize about that. But it's this beautiful summary, okay, and I, I want you to catch tonight the significance of Jesus' sacrifice maybe in a new light or maybe in a renewed way that we ha haven't thought about for a while, okay? So in Hebrews 10, it's, it's talking about everything I've been talking about so far, and it sort of brings it to a conclusion, right? So we understand Jesus' sacrifice a bit more. So just bear with me. And we're going to read a bit of Scripture here. It says, in Hebrews 10, from verse 1, The old system, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. This is talking about all those cleansing rituals and stuff like that. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Now, I just pause and, and reflect on that a little bit. You know, when you are trapped in sin, you know, like I was as, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old, the overwhelming feelings of guilt, you know, for me personally, they were there before I even really encountered sin, like what sin really was. And a, a lot of people, you know, would admit that when we are filled with guilt, it's, it's pointing towards something that we've, 
we've done something wrong or we're stuck in something and, and guilt is this indicator, you know, that, that we're, we're trapped, okay? And, and the Bible's teaching that often when we sin, guilt is the thing that follows, okay? So I just wanted to highlight that because that's, that's very real to me. I can go back to those times where I just beat myself up as a teenager, just overwhelmed by the guilt of, you know, I'd get... I'd be playing the game for ages and I'd just say some really horrible things to my mom and in the moment I didn't care because I got back to the game but then I'd get into bed and I'd be thinking about just how rotten I felt because it was almost like I couldn't control my responses. Sin had that hold on me. I was a slave to it. And guilt is often the, the first indicator of like, man, something just ain't right here. I need to do something about this. Anyway, it's a side tangent but an important one. So, And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. And then we skip forward to verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. What this is saying here is that Jesus was the final Yom Kippur, right? That cleansing rituals that the Jews did every single year where a lamb was sacrificed and the sins were put upon it to, to cleanse the, the community of its sin. Well, God cleanses sin by a final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, by killing the source of sin, okay? And the lamb was a symbol of it. And so John points towards this lamb, right? This Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we read earlier on. The Lamb of God, Jesus, had His blood spilled through death on a Roman cross. And it summarizes it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Amen. That's what Jesus has done. That's why his, his death and His resurrection is so significant for us. So, I have to ask tonight, on a night where uh, people are actually following in John the Baptist's footsteps and declaring in these waters, right, He is great and He must become greater and I am no longer anything and I must become less. That's, that's part of what they're doing tonight. There's more than that, but it's part of it where they're getting in the water and they're saying, it's no longer about me, it's all about what He's done, and He's going to continue to lead me and guide me by His Spirit. But the question tonight is, do you need this cleansing? Do you need this cleansing? Perhaps the word tonight is connecting these dots that you've never connected before, just like I did as a 16-year-old, right? where you realize now that there, there is this brokenness within you. And now you've got a picture of what it is or what the source of it is. It's sin. Just like the Jews, it's, it's living life your own way rather than living God's way. Breaking His law, doing your own thing. And it's actually become a straitjacket, keeping you bound. And you've identified it for what it is. And you realize the problem, right? Maybe you are in a spiral. Maybe guilt is something that you are familiar with in the night watches. 
Well, let me tell you that the source of all this is sin, but the Savior, the cleanser, is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can truly and totally and eternally cleanse you. And He's doing it for all who come to Him tonight. Those who step into these waters tonight are declaring that they've received through faith in Jesus and no one else, this new life that Jesus promises, this baptism of His Holy Spirit, where there's this renewal that comes, where there was once dead and now there's new life. And there's a guide that's leading them each and every day. And they're symbolizing it by getting in the water and performing this ritual. But it's more than that. It's, a, it's something that's happened within them. And they're standing in there just saying that he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So I'm going to get the band to come up now. We're going to get prepared in a minute for these guys to get ready for baptism. But my question that I, I leave you with, and there'll be a time later on where, where Pastor Shu, where Pastor Shu, <laughs> Pastor Shu, I said that wrong twice, Pastor Shu will extend an invitation to you to lay your life down before Jesus and receive His cleansing. But, I mean, the question that I have to ask to you to leave it is, will you make Jesus great tonight in your life by putting your faith in Him and submitting to Him? And the, the title that I had for this message was, The Joy When Jesus Becomes Great. The joy when Jesus becomes great. There's a lot of hardships in life and becoming a Christian doesn't change the hardships of life. But Jesus describes it that there's like a, a new well of living water that begins to flow out of you, right? It's new life. And that sparks a joy that is profound and that overcomes and helps you to endure all of the trials that often continue to remain in life or get harder as we get older, right? Because our body's decaying and we go through some hardships and people come in and out of our life. And I've learned that the more days that you live, the more chance that you have to be rejected, you know, to be hurt, all those things. So we accumulate things. But there is a great joy in Jesus when He's made great in your life. And so I'm going to pray to finish up. And then I'll explain what we're doing later. But how about we just have a bit of a, a moment of silence and a bit of openness towards God and, and what He's doing through His Word tonight. Father God, we come before You. And when we're hearing in Your Word tonight that there is a Savior and there is one who can come and, and clean us. And the guilt that we hold, the shame that we hold, which is there because we... We're sinners, Lord, and, and we've broken your law and we've done our own thing and, and we've done life our own way. It's a weight, Lord, but it's a weight that you've carried. And we're realizing that tonight, Lord, that you are the, the Savior. You are the Lamb of God, the one who's been sacrificed so that we can walk free and receive the, the empowering of your Spirit the, the new life that comes from your spirit. And so I just pray, Lord, tonight, for each and every person that's in this room. Lord, you know 
way more than me about where each and every person's at because you're you're the eternal God. You're you're everywhere all at once, your spirit and your life. And I'm just believing tonight in my own in my own heart and mind that there are people who um, are receptive towards you, Lord, and they're open towards you. And I just pray, Lord, that as as we come around this time of baptism and we hear stories of of people who have been transformed by you, Lord, that you continue to work in us, Lord, and that those who are turning towards you tonight, Lord, uh, would turn towards you and, and put their faith in you tonight. So we love you, Lord, and we pray that you would use this time to really stir us and shape us, Lord, as we celebrate these awesome testimonies that are coming up. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.